This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hemorrhoids, blood clots the size of golf balls, vaginal tears, bloody nipples, wearing adult diapers, it's all a totally normal part of giving birth. And actress Brooklyn Decker is happy to talk about all of it. My nurse, Rebecca, came in and she goes, okay, so did you get any hemorrhoids? I'm like, no, Rebecca. Like, I pushed for two seconds, nothing. Like, this vag is pristine, aside from the severe tearing. Nothing. And she went down there and she goes, oh, honey. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, you're wrecked. You're ravaged, you're wrecked. Childbirth recovery, even in the healthiest of circumstances, is often shocking. But the Grace and Frankie actress says that what's truly the most shocking part of it all is how nobody prepares you for it. And she wants to destigmatize the conversations around birth and the aftermath. Brooklyn shares a son, Hank, and a daughter, Stevie, with husband tennis pro Andy Roddick. Her story about becoming a mom is funny, it's sincere, it's honest, and yes, it wasn't all tears and blood clots. Things got emotional, too. When they said it's time to push, my mom was in the room, my husband was in the room, and we all just burst into tears. It was just this beautiful, overwhelming moment of joy and just like something bigger was happening and everything was about to change. Brooklyn talks about how her experience giving birth led her to start making care packages for her girlfriends that then became the inspiration for these all-in-one kits to support pregnancy, recovery, even pregnancy loss. This is Me Becoming Mom, where we talk to famous women you know and love all about their extraordinary journeys to motherhood. I'm Zoe Ruderman from People. So you wrote recently that childbirth recovery in the healthiest of circumstances was a shocker and no surprise that really resonated with me. I would extend it to be like trying to conceive, being pregnant, going through all of it. All of that is a shocker. So I'm curious, like, did you feel prepared for any part of that journey? Um, Did you feel shocked by every part of it? I was shocked by everything. I mean, I think with Specifically as it pertains to pregnancy, you know, I think we talk about it, not really trying to conceive, but pregnancy itself, we talk about it in sort of its jokiest form where what are your cravings and are your ankles swollen? And we sort of talk about all the funny parts of it without actually diving into like the why. We don't talk about, you know, the increase in prolactin and what that does to our joints. We don't talk about if a baby's breech and how to actually turn a baby and what that means if you're delivering in a hospital. We don't talk about the maternal mortality rate in this country and why it exists. Like there are so many big issues that we don't talk about and we really reduce pregnancy to kind of it's like euphemism form, which is a joke in a way. Um, When it is, there is so much about pregnancy that is funny and to be laughed at and enjoyed. Uh, But yeah, so much of it was shocking to me. 
Yeah, that's such an interesting way of looking at it. And I would say we reduce postpartum to like, you no longer exist. Like now you should just go back to being the woman that you were. And we're no longer interested in how your body has changed and what you look like. And you better get right back to it. And it's no longer okay to talk about like, oh, the crazy things that are happening to my body. It's like, nope, you're not pregnant. You don't get to play that role anymore. Yeah, we we reduce it to pounds lost. And is your baby sleeping through the night? And it's it's funny, you know, again, I had the most wonderful medical care. I love my doctor. I love the nurses. And as a matter of fact, I had the same crew uh, deliver both of my kids. So there was so much familiarity and safety for me. So it's it's interesting that despite the fact that I had wonderful care and again, the healthiest of pregnancies and deliveries, for the most part, there were little things here and there, but nothing that wasn't manageable, that it was still really challenging. And what I find so interesting is if you deliver in a hospital, you deliver and then you're sent to the nursery, the, the a separate ward where all of a sudden all the care goes to the baby, which makes complete sense. But what happens to the mom who just went through this physically and emotionally traumatic experience? I think it was so shocking because I thought the hardest part was actually getting the baby out of my body. I didn't even consider you know, what happens if you have an episiotomy? What happens if you tear? What happens if your milk isn't coming in? What happens if your nipples are bleeding? All of these like horribly painful, challenging problems that are so normal and can so easily be managed with the right tools in place. Um, It was all really surprising, really surprising. I found it very surprising too. So I want to get to your story and sort of travel back in time. Um, When did you first know that you wanted to be a mom? Oh, goodness. I'm trying to decide whether or not it was a decision or whether or not it was just culturally something that as a woman you were expected to do. I know that I've always wanted to have kids. I always saw that in my future, but I don't know from when that started or why. But I, forever I've I've wanted to be a mom and the timing of it was not super planned. Um and and it wasn't a huge surprise, but it was just it's so funny. I think for so long, and I think a lot of women are talking about this, you're trying to not get pregnant, you know, that actually being deliberate about timing is is a little bit confusing because you assume that the second you take off the governor, it's just going to happen. Um, and we were very lucky to not have to go through fertility treatments. Um, but the answer to your question is, I don't know, but I know forever that I've I've wanted to have children. And when did you know that Andy was the person you wanted to become a parent with? Oh, goodness. Um, It's funny. I think, again, because there's not a ton of dialogue around like what goes into co-parenting and making these decisions with a partner, I don't know that when you're making the decision on who you're going to settle down with, if you make that decision, you do talk about do you want kids and how many. But again, I don't think you're talking through like the realistic expectations of what that actually means. And I know that he and I both wanted kids and he wanted fewer than I did and I wanted more. And that was kind of a joke between us. And and that was it. And I think we just got very fortunate that when we became parents, we both had a very similar approach to parenting and were very aligned on all of that. But I would love to say it was super deliberate and thoughtful. It simply wasn't. We were kind of learning on the fly. And I sort of, I hope a lot of parents connect to that. Maybe it, it speaks to our total lack of preparedness, but 
No, I think it's very realistic. I remember actually when my now husband asked my father permission to propose, my dad had like a few questions for him. And one of them was, how do you feel about vaccinating your kids? And it became this joke in my family. Of course, now that like has so much more weight. But in retrospect and hearing you talk, I'm like, what a crazy thing to go into co-parenting and not know if you're on the same page with someone. So it is wild, the lack of preparedness, I think, for all of us all around. So I relate to that. That's a brilliant question, by the way, for your dad to ask, because until this year, I never would have considered that. that that's a lot for someone asking permission. It is, especially asking permission specifically for marriage. But it's interesting because I think now those conversations would happen between people who wanted to co-parent. You know, I think those are conversations that you would hope, you know, to align on with your partner. Um, so it's, I feel like your, your father had a lot of foresight there. So you alluded to this, but I remember when you first revealed you were pregnant, I think the caption said, so this happened. So just to put it plainly, you guys had not been trying and planning for this. Is that right? Yes and no. I mean, we decided that we were in the phase of wanting to like take this next step. I think the timing of it was a surprise, but generally speaking, we were like this year, let's start really seriously mapping this out. Um, and I had an app, which was so often not correct. And I think things have technologically uh, improved since then, but this was 2014. Um, and I had an app that was totally wrong. Um, and we, yes, got pregnant, which it's funny. Like I have a lot of guilt even sharing that because I so, I most of the women in my life have not had that easy of a time. And so there's a lot of, it's like a fraught, it's fraught for me to say that, you know, it was a, a bit of a surprise and it wasn't totally planned out because I, I do fully understand how painful that is for so many people. Do you remember your feelings and what you said when you first saw the positive test? Andy had flown out of state that day, so we weren't even together. And I don't even know why I took a test when he wasn't there. Like, I don't, I just was, I didn't think it was going to, I just didn't think I was pregnant. And, but again, like, you know, dates were off. And so I took, I peed on a stick and I called him and I wanted to like make this big reveal, but I was so... I had to share this, like I had to tell someone I was, you know, I was like erupting with feelings. And so I called him and told him, um, I don't even remember what I said. I just remember, I think he flew home that night and, and we were so excited. And it was, it was funny, I think for us, because we'd been together so long, I think we could have absolutely overthought the timing of things. And I think the fact that we weren't able to overthink it was a big gift for the two of us. I love that. So tell me about the early pregnancy. How were you feeling? What was it like for you? This is a strange symptom, but I was um, really cold, like very cold all the time, shaking, shivering, cold. And both of my pregnancies made me anemic and I'm still anemic now. And I think that's why I was feeling so cold. And I was just so tired, like couldn't walk across the room without taking a nap, tired. But otherwise I was okay. I didn't get sick, knock on wood. I wasn't um, I wasn't vomiting. I wasn't, I didn't have any huge issues with pregnancy. So I, I wasn't one of those people who, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like, I just loved being pregnant. I was thriving. I've never felt better. My experience wasn't that, but I felt really comfortable and free to continue living my life in a way that wasn't, um, you know, hindered by pregnancy symptoms. And when did you start to think about a birth plan or birth preferences and what that labor and delivery would look like for you guys? I was anti-birth plan. 
like big time anti-birth plan. Okay. Why? For me, I felt that if I made a plan and and sort of wrapped my mind around that one plan and things took a sharp left turn or didn't go the way I expected. I didn't want there to be any disappointment around the delivery. And I kind of thought babies come into the world in a million different ways. And that may be challenging. It may be not, but they're eventually here and cared for. And so I'm going to have to just roll with the punches and my body's going to tell me what my body's going to tell me. And I had, you know, ideas around what I wanted it to look like, which it did not. What were those ideas? Well, I wanted my water to break and I wanted um I wanted to deliver like earlier on my due date because at the end you're really, you know, miserable and I was late with both and had to be induced which I didn't want to do and had to do pitocin which I didn't want to do and had to get an epidural which I didn't want to do but honestly getting an epidural was one of the best moments of my life. Um so there are all these sort of things that I wanted that didn't play out but ultimately I was very anti-birth plan and I stand by that. I do think there is a lot of pressure these days to have like your entire plan mapped out. And I'm a big fan of calling it birth preferences instead of plans because I think plan makes it seem like this is an itinerary and the plane leaves at this time. And if it doesn't happen, like you said, it's disappointing. I like that. When you envisioned your delivery, I mean, you're saying all these things that you, the ideas that you had, did you think at all about the postpartum time? Had you been around women who were immediately postpartum? Did you... Did that even cross your mind to have ideas about what that would look like? I gave no thought to it. I mean, I think there were some conversations that, so I was one of the first people in my close friend group to have kids. um, And so I didn't have a lot of up close experience with it. One of my best girlfriends had given birth, but she had preeclampsia and um, a high risk pregnancy. And so her experience was heavily monitored and totally different from mine. So while we could share some, we were just living very different realities in in that moment. And so because of that, I didn't I didn't consider it. I mean, I I think there were conversations around lactation consultants. So I did have an understanding that like maybe breastfeeding wouldn't be as simple as we all assume that it is. But beyond that, I I, I again had heard about tearing, but sort of in a jokey way. You know, I had heard women people say like you might poop yourself, and I heard people say you might this, and but it was always delivered in like such a joking manner that the reality of, for the record, I did not poop myself. I just it doesn't matter if you do; it's a totally normal experience. But I just want to say that. And for the record, I was not going to ask, and everyone would be wondering if you didn't clarify. So you heard it here first. Brooklyn Decker did not poop on the table. Since I brought pooping oneself into the conversation, I do feel that I need to clarify, not that there should be any shame around doing so, but there's no shame in that. I have plenty of friends who did, and there is no shame in that game. Um, so so no, I, I had no grasp at all on what recovery would look like. And it was, for me, the hardest part of pregnancy, delivery, everything. And did you find out the sex of the baby the first time? I did. Were you and Andy in agreement on finding out? Yes, we were. We are not patient individuals. So our theory was that when you give birth, that moment is so, especially for the first time, it's so surprising and overwhelming. Like there's enough of an energy in the room that the gender doesn't have to be necessarily um, an additional surprise. Like that moment is so surprising in itself. So we were, I think that's what we told ourselves to justify our finding out. We felt the exact same way. And I felt like it's a surprise whenever you find out, whether it's at 14 weeks or at 40 weeks. So you get the joy of it. So tell me about that moment of finding out what you were having. I 
am uh, the firstborn and I'm a girl and my brother is a boy and he was second born. And so I had it in my head that that's what I wanted because I loved our dynamic and I loved what being the firstborn did, I think, for my personality. And there were certain things that I really enjoyed about sort of that, you know, birth order. And I wanted the same for us. And so when I found out I was having a boy, (laughs) I called Andy. I was in the car. The doctor called me and I called him and he didn't pick up. And so I called my mom and I burst into tears and I I burst into tears and told my mom and she was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be. And I like, I had the name picked out the whole thing. If it was going to be a girl, which is crazy. I mean, I think that, you know, that's pregnancy. Those are hormones settling in. It's not uncommon. I think, I mean, going back to the idea of like, if you have a plan or an idea in your head and you don't get it, it feels disappointing. I understand it. Yeah. I think it's like, there's so much unknown that to add another layer of what you believe at in that moment, at least to be the unknown, because let's face it, it's all unknown and like the gender doesn't matter and none of it matters. Um, but I think, just to have an, another unknown throw in is just, it can be overwhelming. And it was for me. Exactly. That call doesn't actually mean much in the moment, except for choosing a name that might change at some point. Exactly. Exactly. For me, and, and I did, my, we ended up naming my daughter the name, which was Stevie Tessa, which is after my two parents. And so I had this attachment to this name, you know, being a, her first name after my dad and her middle name after my mom. So I, I think because I had an attachment to that idea, exactly to, to my point earlier is that when you have a plan and it goes awry, it can be disappointing, which speaks to not having much of a plan. So you get to your due date and it sounds like it passes. Do you remember how many days passed you went after 40 weeks? I delivered at 41 weeks. So I was a week after. So tell me about that process. You were induced. So walk us through like that that day and everything that happened. So I love my doctor and he... I really wanted sushi. I really wanted like a good sushi dinner. So we went to our favorite restaurant in Austin called Uchiko and got sushi. And at this point, it was the end of my pregnancy. So no one was concerned. And we had this, they opened at five and we had this awesome sushi dinner. And we drove to the hospital and my mom met us there. And now my mom is a retired critical care nurse. So I think that also is a reason why our experience was so lovely because we had not that we needed an advocate because our healthcare was so wonderful, but I think we just had someone to translate medical terminology in the room who we trusted. And they started to like get everything going. And I was just not, I was not opening up. My body was like, no, you're going to stay in there forever. You're And they were worried about me going later than that because Hank at this point was eight and a half pounds. And so they were worried about meconium and all of these things that can happen if, you know, they go over. And, um, so nothing was working, nothing was working. So we stay overnight. And then the next morning they come in and this is at this point, you know, 13 hours later. And I was like, I've been contracting all night and they come in and I'm like, okay, how dilated am I? Like, where are we at? And the doctor checks and he goes, you're not even a fingertip, not even close. <gasps> you're like, am I at nine? And they're like, no, this same thing happened with me. I never got past three. And like every, I was like, I bet I'm at like 12. My husband's like, I don't even think 12 is possible. And I'm like, no, I'm going to overachieve with my cervix. But yeah, it's so disappointing when you hear that. And you've been contracting all night. Like I was feeling it. I'm like, I know I'm opening up. I'm visualizing. I'm like doing all the things that they tell you to do and nothing, nothing. Were you nervous or anxious or just wanted to get things moving? What was your mental state? I wanted to get things moving. And I also had it in my head that I was going to try to not have an epidural. I don't know why. I don't know why we do this to ourselves as women. We like tell ourselves that we're 
like better women and we're stronger if we can forego drugs. And I had that for whatever reason in my mind that I'm going to do this. I'm tough enough when it's simply, there's so many factors that come into play. It does not speak to one's strength. It's so true. So I I just interviewed Allison Felix, the like seven-time gold medalist. And she's like, I thought, of course I won't need an epidural. Like nobody is stronger than me. Same thing with Sean Johnson East, also an Olympian. It has nothing to do with how strong you are. They both needed epidurals. They both had C-sections. It just, but I think you're right. We sort of say like, this is what my body was meant to do. This is what women were put on this earth for, which of course is not true at all, but you kind of are passed down this idea and it does. It feels like, well, I should be able to because other women can. So it's hard not to feel like a failure. That's precisely it. You're like, well, women have been doing this for centuries. I kept saying that to myself. And then finally, my mom said to me, she goes, well, yeah, but women died. Exactly. And that perspective was really helpful in the moment. But to answer your earlier question, there was there was really no anxiety. It was like, this is time. I know it's going to hurt. It's temporary. I can work through the pain, which I could not do. Um, and and then a few hours after that, they came in again. And this was like three hours of Pitocin. He's like, you're one centimeter. You're one centimeter. And I just thought, oh, there's there's no there's no way. I mean, it's now been 15 hours and I'm one centimeter on Pitocin and no epidural. Like I got to figure this out. And so they came... It was actually a friend of mine was an anesthesiologist and she came in. She's one of my favorite people in the world because she took me out of the worst physical pain of my life and she gave me an epidural. And in a matter of an hour, I got from one to nine. I think my body was just able to relax. Like I didn't feel like I was holding on or clenched or stressed, but clearly my body was saying otherwise. And so, yeah, in about an hour, I got to nine. And, um, and I started pushing and... I pushed a little too hard and, uh, you know, got some, some, some tearing, uh, but he was out and healthy. So it's funny, like the actually act of my body opening up couldn't, I, my body wasn't doing it on its own, you know, eight days or seven days, whatever it was after the due date. But the actual pushing was, I think he had been hanging out down there for so long. The act of pushing was, was much easier. Yeah. And do you remember what you said when you first met him and held him? Oh my goodness. I, I was just sobbing, crying. I was so emotional. I was that when they said it's time to push, I looked, my mom was in the room, my husband was in the room, and we all just burst into tears. It was just this beautiful, overwhelming moment of joy and just like something bigger was happening and everything was about to change. And we knew that, but couldn't remotely understand what that meant. Did it surprise you that both of them burst into tears in that moment or did you expect it? Absolutely. No, I didn't expect any of us. I I thought we were going to be excited and like, push, you know, like this sort of aggressive, you know, my husband's an athlete and my, you know, my mom's a critical care nurse. Like she's, she's a hard lady. You know, I was expecting all of us to kind of like bite down and like get this baby out. I kind of expected that energy and it was not that it was like light and floaty and incredibly emotional and we all just started crying and it was beautiful and and he came out and I don't even remember the first words to him I just held on to him and it was it was pure magic truly many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So let's talk a little bit about postpartum. When did you realize, like, this is not what I was prepared for and this is hard and painful and is going to be a longer road than I expected. Ooh, well, in the hospital room, this is way too much information, but you know, whatever. Oh, there's no such thing as TMI on this podcast. We've already talked about pooping, so. Right, exactly. Whatever. You know, we're, this is what women need to be talking about. So um, my nurse, Rebecca, came in and she goes, <laughs> and I've never had a hemorrhoid, not just some context. And she comes in, she goes, okay, so did you get any hemorrhoids? I'm like, no, Rebecca, like I pushed for two seconds, nothing. Like this vag is pristine aside from the severe tearing, nothing. And she went down there and she goes, oh, honey, hmm, hmm." basically like you're wrecked, you're ravaged, you're wrecked, everything's destroyed down there. And my best friend came that day this again is too much information. My best friend came that day and she at that point had not had children. And I'm like, Jen, I can't look at it because I think it'll traumatize me forever, but I need someone to take in what's happening down there. And I took her to the bathroom and I literally like bent over and had my best friend take just a physical record of what was going on. So someone could tell me what was happening because so many people had commented on like, oh, stitches and this and that. And and she's like, okay, yep. Now there's, it's seared on my brain. There's physical record. I, it's, I, we know what happened. And, and yes, now she has to carry that with her the rest of her life. And that's, that's friendship right there. And then the clot started to come. The clot started to come. And my mom being a nurse, but not labor and delivery was like, this is in any other circumstance, not normal. So I just want to be really clear. It's like, you're going to the bathroom, you stand up from the toilet and you're seeing clots in the toilet and they're bigger than you would have liked to see? Yes. I'm seeing it in the toilet. I'm seeing them in the like diaper mesh short pad ice pack situation that's all layered under there. And uh, the nurse came in and saw them and she goes, these are totally normal. If they get any bigger than a golf ball, call me. They're totally normal. And we're like, okay, bigger than a golf ball. We're we're good. And, and, and again, just a, another sort of shocking part of post birth that no one prepares you for. That's totally normal. Right. And so did they ever get bigger than a golf ball? No. Almost. But no. No. They were good. It's really interesting that your takeaway from that was like, oh, this is great information to have. Did it make you feel like shocked or nervous to think, oh, I'm going to see clots this big in the pad diaper situation? Or was it sort of liberating to have that knowledge? It gave me the information I needed to monitor my health. In a way that without that information, I wouldn't have felt comfortable monitoring my health. It just, I feel like it gave me tools so that when I went home, I was better prepared for what was to come. And I didn't have to panic every time I saw something. I didn't have to panic when, with all these very normal processes post-birth, I, they, they didn't make me scared. They let me know that, okay, your body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. I like that. Yeah, I tend to do better with lots of information. So I think I had read that you had your uterus massaged. Is that true? Yes. It's like a fund, a fund, a fundus fund something. Yes. But it wasn't, 
But it wasn't even a massage. It was just, they just came and, you know, for the 12 hours after, they were pressing on it and making sure that they would squeeze out all the clots. That's what they were doing. So what other aspects of those first few days after giving birth were surprising to you? I mean, we talked a little bit about you preparing with a lactation consultant. Were there other parts, you know, really just in those first like 48, 72 hours that you thought, oh my God, nobody prepared me for this? Well, Hank was pretty jaundiced. So we had to stay um, for a few days uh, extra in the hospital. And um, and in that time, they wanted him to go to the bathroom and to get out the bilirubin in his blood. And so they wanted me pumping. So usually they don't try to get you to start pumping in the hospital. You know, they kind of tell you about it, but they try to get the baby to latch. And so we were trying to get him to latch but he wasn't getting enough. And so then I was pumping colostrum and then they hooked up this little, thank God for my mom, they hooked up a tiny little baby IV and they taped it to my breast so that when he was nursing, he could have both the IV of pumped colostrum and the actual colostrum coming out. So there were all these like weird things where I had him, I was hooked up to a pump, they're massaging the fundus or whatever it's called, you know, like they're cleaning the stitches And it was just such a, I remember like every time going to the bathroom, it was like a 20 minute process of like the cleaning and the changing and just to use the restroom. And, and that was just very surprising. And again, this is all normal and totally healthy, you know? So it was just a really taxing, difficult time. And it was totally with, with a healthy delivery. When did you and Andy start feeling ready to think about uh, a second child and growing your family? Hank must have been uh, close to a year. Um, he was a really easy baby. Just it was that that transition to being his mom was easier than I expected, which I know sounds crazy, but it was easier than I expected. And so we were like, yeah, let's do this. We can do this. This is manageable. And to be very clear, we had a full-time nanny. And I say that because I think people don't give enough credit to the people who support them in their lives. And like, we are not doing this on our own. And I just feel like, you know, that needs to be, you know, said. Um, But we decided to start trying for a second. And it took a few months and, and we got pregnant with Stevie. And it's funny because it was a totally different parenting experience and a totally different recovery experience. And the transition was wildly different. And it was so humbling because as someone who thinks like, okay, I figured this out. I'm still in the phase. I have some expertise here. That idea was completely turned on its head. And tell me about the pregnancy. And specifically, I want to know about finding out that you were having a girl. So the pregnancy was... Great. I was also exhausted and cold and craving orange juice. And again, my doctor told me that's a sign of anemia. So I was anemic and all of that. Um, But it was a really healthy, fairly easy pregnancy. Um, I When did I find out that she was going to be a girl? They, They called me and they told me and I was just so happy. And it's funny at that point, because I had been a parent, unlike finding out the first time, I so just wanted her to be healthy. I didn't care. And did I read somewhere that one of your babies was breech? Stevie was, yes. 
Did you get her to turn or did you deliver with her? I did get her to turn. My doctor, who's a super traditional, not like an integrative health doctor, like very, very traditional doctor, was like, listen, I don't know much about this myself, but I have sent women to see an acupuncturist and an herbalist with Chinese medicine. He was like, and it's worked. He said, so I can't tell you exactly what to do, but I can refer you to these two. And I say, give it a shot. He goes, why not? See if it works. Because he's like, you can deliver, but it's just going to be complicated. And if you can reduce that complication, it'll be great. And so I had acupuncture and I went to um, a specialist in Chinese medicine and he gave me what can only be described as like a sage stick of herbs. And he told me to lay on my back and he asked Andy to take this like herb bundle and burn it like a sage stick and hold it next to my pinky toes. Have you heard of this? I did the same thing. I was pregnant during COVID. So like acupuncturists were closed. You couldn't go anywhere. So I ordered on Amazon and all you could get was like 50 of these sage bundles. And then same thing, like you have it, you set it up. So it's like next to your pinky toe. Yeah. It's wild. Did it work? It did not work. So I ended up having the external cephalic version where they like physically turn the baby and that worked. And so I'm like glad that I tried everything. But yeah, I'd never heard of anyone else doing the sage thing. But so it worked for you. So I did the acupuncture. I did the pinky toe sage thing. And I did the, um, someone told me to put and a heating pad under my vagina and an ice pack on the top of my stomach. And they said that sometimes that'll turn the baby because they want to go towards the warm temperature. So I did that and I never felt any turn. And I go to get the, tell me the name of it again. The ECV, the um, external cephalic version. Yeah. So I go to get that done and I'm in the hospital and there's an IV and they've checked me in and the doctor comes in and he does an ultrasound. He's like, oh my gosh, she turned. Oh my God. We don't have to do it. She turned. But we were in the hospital. We had like all day. We were planning on being there. He's like, it's going to be super painful. We can give you some pain stuff, but not, you know, the whole thing. And she had turned by the time we had gone in for our appointment. So I don't know when it happened. I didn't feel it. Can you tell me how it felt for you, by the way, getting that done? It was painful. It was not as bad as I thought. I made the mistake of Googling it beforehand and then read Kim Kardashian's account because why not? Um, and she said it was worse than labor and delivery. So I was like really expecting it to be terrible. It was like bad, but it was so fast. And I was so just like focused on getting it done. Um, and I'm glad I did it. It was not nearly as bad as Kim Kardashian made it seem. Good for you. I, by the way, read the same thing. I read the same thing and I was expecting it to be, and that's, that's what my doctor says. Like we can give you something, but not, you know, it's, there's nothing, you know, you kind of have to just, you know, bite down and, and deal with it. And, uh, and so I was lucky to not have to actually do the inversion, but yeah. Oh, that's so funny that you went through all of that too. Was your mom in the delivery room again? She was. And the same nurses and everything. Oh, that's so wonderful to have that consistency. And what was it like emotionally? Did you all burst into tears when you started pushing again? Oh my gosh, burst into tears. I mean, it was so funny. They were, the deliveries were so alike. We burst into tears and it was beautiful. And she was smaller than Hank, which was surprising because sometimes, a lot of times the second baby is larger than the first and she was smaller and she just slipped right, <laughs> slipped right out. And um, hilariously, the doctor came in because again, I will go from like a fingertip to, you know, nine centimeters and the doctor runs in and, 
and uh, he's throwing on the the covers to go over his boots. And he, and I'm laughing because it's such a chaotic moment when I'm ready to push. He's like, don't laugh, don't laugh. I can see her. Don't laugh, don't laugh. Oh my God. Which is making me laugh more. And he's like, no, seriously, don't laugh. And he was like, Tessa, my mom, he's like, get down there, get down there. I got to put my, he was trying to cover everything up so we could be sterile. Yeah, that was a, yeah, it was, that was a wild, it's funny how this stuff sort of like comes back to you and you kind of you black it out because it's such a wild, you know, intense moment. And what was it like holding her for the first time? Oh my gosh, it was magical. It was like, again, because I sort of from a young age envisioned a daughter. It was like everything I had ever, it, she felt like such a, like an answered prayer. It was like, I've wanted you for so long and you're here. This is what I've, I've wanted you. You know, it was, it was really beautiful. This past October, Brooklyn posted a throwback bathroom mirror selfie taken one week after she gave birth. She's in a belly band, a nursing bra, big mesh undies, a giant pad. It is one of the most honest postpartum photos I had ever seen. In the post, she wrote, I can't help but to think we'll all be better off if we share our stories and destigmatize these completely normal experiences. I remember when Hank was uh, feeding once, and this was in the first week of being home with him, he pulled off my breast and it was after a feeding and he had blood dripping down his lip, like just a little bit, but blood dripping down. And I burst into tears because I'm like, what have I done? What did I do to him? He's going to get sick. And I called his pediatrician and she's like, honey, that's totally normal. That's totally fine. You know, your body's learning how to do this. But again, it was like one of those things where in the moment it is so painful you're crying through it and your baby comes off and they have blood on their face because you're bleeding into them and you think you're causing all this harm and it's a totally normal experience. And so I was like the expert on nipple care and balms and ice packs and stitches care and not being able to wipe when you go to the bathroom and spraying everything and all of these like gory, awful things that no one warns you about. Because I think understandably women are nervous because they don't want to scare you, but I'm a more information person just like you, like, let me know so I can prepare and digest. And, and, um, and so I started making these kits for friends because to me truly, like, you know, I remember sending Andy out to the pharmacy to grab things and he didn't know what he was looking for. And it was just such a chaotic time. And if I had had a kit there with like notes, this is what you're going to need for your vagina. This is what you're going to need for your breast. This is what you're going to need for a baby. It would have made that phase, that adjusting that adjustment, I should say, so much easier, just more manageable and safer. So talk about how these homemade kits sort of then like evolved into something more official. It's so funny how it happened. It happened so organically. So I was making these kits for girlfriends and I actually made one for a friend of mine who had a husband who was an entrepreneur. And around that time, they were on a double date. And I had just delivered his a kit to his wife and it, it kind of scared them both because it did have all these like notes and all this stuff. And they're like, are we really going to need all of this? And so they started talking about this like funny thing that crazy me had sent them. And uh, and his friend's wife said, oh my goodness, I'm starting that company. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm like currently in development, in research and development on these products. And, uh, and, and she created Bodily, which has gone on to help so many women ease into this next phase of life. And they actually last month just launched a miscarriage box, a loss box, because when someone goes through that loss, they're 
oftentimes actually experiencing a lot of the physical recovery that one has to go through after they deliver. And there aren't any resources to help them both emotionally and physically through this time. And I saw that you also have a C-section specific kit. Yes. With special underwear that are really soft and high-waisted so that they're very um, soft on any sort of incision areas, both on a C-section or vaginally. But what I actually find is most important in these boxes is the bras, because what I didn't realize until I had mastitis at eight months postpartum with 104 fever, and it was horrible, what I didn't realize, which I should have known, was that underwire bras can cause mastitis and can help, can can affect um, milk production and letdown and all of that. And so she has created very specific bras for very, very specific phases of breastfeeding, and I just feel like not only are they good for baby, but they just, I feel like for moms, it's the best possible thing you can give her. Oh, I love that. I never, and I breastfed, but I never would have thought of that. Like the different needs at different stages. That's so smart. I hadn't either until it was too late. And, and my doctor said, are you wearing underwire? And I was shooting. I was, I was, I was in production. So of course I was wearing under, I was like wearing proper undergarments under costumes. And they're like, that's, that causes this late in the game that causes mastitis. You have underwire sitting on like a duct and you know, it it can turn badly. Was it really painful? It was horribly painful. You know, it's so crazy. It was painful, but what was wild was that it it was almost as if I was in a fever dream. I was so loopy from such a high fever, and I was having so much pain, and I couldn't put my I couldn't put my arm down, and it was so hot. And I called my mom, who you know at that time she was in North Carolina, we were in Texas, and I called my mom, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, mom. I have a hundred and four fever, and she's like, honey call the doctor immediately. You need to get on antibiotics right now. But it was, I felt so out of it. I just was like, this hurts. Why do I feel so bad? I was, I think at that point it was too far gone. I had waited too long. I think it's also that like you've gone through so much physically, like with pregnancy and delivery and postpartum that you're kind of like, yeah, all right, this is how my body feels. And you just kind of push through it rather than dealing with it. You don't listen to your pain. And it's funny because at eight months, I was like, there's no way this is mastitis. It's my baby's eight months old. There's there's just no way. And I I just didn't give my pain any credit at all. I thought I didn't know what was going on with me. Um, you know, as moms, you always put the needs of everyone before your own, which I think is instinct. And also it's what I would want to do. I I want to take care of these little creatures, you know, before I want to take care of myself. But then all of a sudden you hit a wall and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't get through the day without a nap. I'm exhausted. Um, I just was really depleted. And I feel like it took probably two years for my body to fully recover from really two childbirths that were two years apart. Brooklyn, this was so incredible. I loved this chat. Thank you for being generous with your time and being so open with me too. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm probably going to regret talking about hemorrhoids and poop, but you know, here we are. Think of all those other women who go through it and they're like, nobody told me except for Brooklyn. So now I'm more prepared for it. And here's the good news. You do recover. Your body does recover despite stitches and all of it. Your body does. I'm not saying it goes back to what it was. I'm just saying it does heal and recover and knows how to do that. We just need the tools to usher it along. Yes, bodies are incredible. No shame in any of these things. Well, thank you so much. This was really great. You can find more information about the bodily kits Brooklyn and I talked about at itsbodily.com. And you can catch Brooklyn modeling some of their amazing products on her Instagram. That's it for this episode of Me Becoming Mom. 
Next time, my guest will be Whitney Port, who just this past November found out she had miscarried for a third time. That night, she recorded a very raw audio diary on her phone about how she was feeling. He looked at the ultrasound and looked at me and raised his eyebrows and just shook his head. And in that moment, I just knew. And it just felt like Groundhog's Day. Like, just the feeling of grief is all too familiar. In the post that went along with her audio diary, Whitney wrote, My heart is with every single woman who has gone through this pain. I hope by sharing my feelings and stories, some of you will not feel alone. And we are so thankful to Whitney who was willing to share her story. Tune in for it next week. This podcast is produced by People in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Andy Cubis, Jason Mack, Brian Rivers, Aliza Sessler, and Suzanne Semeloff. Our executive producers are Lauren Mickler, David Flumenbaum, and me, Zoe Ruderman. Thank you for listening.